I actually am in this way. I am optimistic that um, a Biden administration is going to move with this. I know the article in Slate I wrote bounced around a lot within the transition team at USDOT. And so I'm actually excited about the chance to fix some of this stuff. Well, on that note... Yeah, so that basically what that means yeah. is that uh, is that when uh, regulation does, if when regulation does happen, uh, everyone is going to blame you for it. Yes, oh, right. it's going to have been you all come, your fault. You come stay with me in my anonymous bunker, uh, bu- uh, bungalow. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, Senior Transportation Reporter at TechCrunch. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the Communications Director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. Uh, I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the Human Driving Association, uh, the uh, Director of Special Operations at Argo AI, although I do not represent Argo in any way on this show. Um, And today we're going to have a great guest, a man who walked up to me at a conference years ago and said, why do you hate me? And I said, I don't hate you. I love you. I don't even know who you are. Um, One of the clearest thinkers in our sector. Um, He's not a car guy or even a tech guy, but he's an investor and he is a policy guy and he's got some very interesting takes. The inimitable David Zipper. Welcome, David. Uh, So thanks for having me, guys. Um, Thanks for having me back. But how how do we find ourselves here today with you receiving interesting death threats and slash creative insults. Yeah. So the story actually began with a a previous article I wrote that I actually spent a ton of time working on this summer, which ran in Bloomberg City Lab. And it was about um, why that that article really started with the simple question I had was an observation, which is most cities in the United States have implemented uh, limits on how fast a shared e-scooter can go, usually between 10 and 15 miles per hour. And you physically cannot take a Lime or Bird scooter faster than that. And meanwhile, automobiles can go as fast as they want. In a city, or as fast, you know, there's speed limits, but you can go much, much faster if you want to uh, when, wherever you're driving. Like, how did we end up with that? And that just led me to write a deep dive about automotive safety technology and its relative failure despite all the advances we've had over the last century to protect pedestrians and cyclists. Uh, and that was a long article I wrote in August, uh, about two or 3,000 words in Bloomberg City Lab. And when that article came out, it got a lot of attention from the, uh, the urban mobility set that I'm used to. But what I wasn't used to is a lot of attention from the automotive uh, community. And people started reaching out saying, because I, I sort of wrote a story that was sort of always there, but no one had really tackled in a deep, deep way or tried to, I think. And people were like, you know, David, here's some other things you might think about. And interestingly, um, as I started like sifted through some interesting conversations that I had and suggestions I had, people were, some people were saying like, you know, we really have just screwed the pooch, if you will, under President Trump with providing a framework for regulating level two uh, ADAS systems. It's just been, we've been asleep at the wheel, no pun intended. Um, and I was like, that's interesting. And this was in the fall and this is before the election. And I thought, you know, if Biden wins, which he did, despite a little foreshadowing, despite some comments to my, uh, ultimate slate piece that just ran this week, um, uh, you know, it might be a real chance to change how we regulate ADAS systems. And so I, I started doing a lot of research. I spent a ton of time researching this piece uh, for Slate that ran a few days ago. And the whole premise is to say, but right, and yeah, to really add your point was you're, you're asked like, how did I get started with this? My question was really like, do we need better regulation of L2 uh, level two technologies because um, ADAS is, seems like it's all over the place and it might create safety risks. And as I got into it and I learned about what's happened really at NHTSA, National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration, at NTSB, uh, which is the, the, the crash investigators, it, I realized more and more this isn't a story about Super Cruise. It's not a story about the other automakers. It's a story about Tesla because it's, Tesla is such an anomaly in how it's approaching deployment of its, uh, of its technology, both with autopilot and now with full self-driving. And so the piece that I wrote, and you guys have already done it, I thought a really enlightening podcast about full self-driving. And I'm not a, 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 an engineer technologist. I don't want to go into detail about that stuff. 
But what I am really interested in what the article was about is really sort of like from a regulatory perspective, how has the federal government sort of missed the boat and how has Tesla taken advantage of it with autopilot and FSD and what sort of a response is both appropriate and I would argue necessary come January when we have new leaders at uh, the United States Department of Transportation. So that's really sort of the, the, the origin story. Yeah, and and I just interject that that I sort of spoke to David at different points in this in this process, and I, and I like I don't I generally when we talk like I don't try and convince you of stuff. I know you're going to do your own research and come to your own conclusions. So I, I and I I don't think I I don't remember trying to to sort of push your focus towards Tesla, and and then when we came back and talked again after you'd done um, a bunch of 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 research, uh, you were like, is this is this really just a Tesla problem? And I'm like, people think that I keep saying that because, you know, I wrote a book about Tesla and it's been a focus, but they genuinely are just so. And it sounds like collusion. Different. It sounds like collusion. It sounds like collusion. Here, let mean, me ask I, you this no, With all due respect, Ed, I, I take seriously what you say. I respect, I respect all three of you. Uh, I actually really do, joking aside. However, Ed, you're one person. I talk to a lot of people. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's my point. That's exactly my point. And I, and I know this about you, so I... I can't believe I even have to say this, but it hopefully goes without saying, of course I don't have a financial stake one way or the other in Tesla. Do I even have to say that? I guess I do, based on... Yeah, you need to say it. You need to say it, but then it doesn't matter because people still won't believe it. I, I, listen, people think, uh, on both sides, think that I'm on the pay of like some mysterious third party because sometimes I'm pro-Tesla, sometimes I'm anti Question no, zipper. But, but my, 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 I just want to be. I just want to be clear. Like the article that I wrote in Slate on on is on December first. I'm sure it's easier for people to find. Um, is it, it's it's not real. I'm not trying to slam Elon Musk. I'm not trying to say there's a company that is inherently evil. I'm just saying that this is a regulatory failure that um, has that that needs to be corrected. And Biden can do a lot, both in the short term and longer term to not just, I think, ensure safety for road users, uh, but also, I think, pave the way for longer-term deployment of ADAS and autonomous technologies, because I actually think Tesla's putting the entire sector at risk. So if, if I connect the dots of this piece and your prior piece about driver monitoring systems, it would seem that a standard, or let's just say, having a driver monitoring system in any vehicle with L2, with, with level two ADAS, would appear advantageous, or at least this is these are the messages I get. Why aren't there, the Tesla defenders will say, why isn't there a DMS in every car then? Yeah, good question. <laughs> is that where you're trying to go? <laughs> to require DMS in all automobiles? I've received, I mean, I, I get Tesla hate mail from Tesla fans. They're like, well, if Tesla should have a DMS to become safer and it's quote unquote already safe, why doesn't everybody have a DMS? Why shouldn't they? Like, yeah. what's the answer to that question? So with DMS specifically, yeah. Um, I would. I mean, I think my point is actually sort of a, a simple one, which is to say, like, we have lots of videos <laughs> that are on YouTube usually found of people, you know, playing patty cake or not sitting in the driver's seat or you know finding different ways of violating the torque monitoring system. Um, that 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 Tesla's installed with autopilot. It's not working. People are are acting in ways that are clearly in violation of of what the manual says they should be doing, and the manual itself is not enough to direct their behavior. So it's I, I'm actually being deliberately simple in my point to say the manual's not enough. There's obviously unsafe behavior taking place, uh, and we the, for that reason. There needs to be some sort of a change. And for most automakers, you'd think when they observe people who are vi or driving in patently unsafe ways and then bragging about it often, or at least sometimes, you'd think the automaker would, would take steps itself to ensure that that behavior doesn't take place. But for its own reasons, Tesla hasn't done that. And for that, if that's not going to happen, then time for the regulatory hammer to come down is my attitude. But it's not like Tesla's, you know, famous for for you know confronting things that it it disagrees with, right? No, and and I'm being facetious, right? Like they're very very aggressive with any. I mean, Elon Musk said that that people who criticize Tesla are killing people. Um, 
you know, so, so if, if, but, but when people are misrepresenting in a, in a complimentary or an over and a hypey kind of a way they you know, Tesla will not correct those. So um, yeah, clearly like that, this is being cultivated, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, you guys are going to have more insights into Elon Musk's psychology and to Tesla's PR strategy. I reached out to Tesla multiple times for comment in writing my article, they chose not to respond. And so I tried to, in the article, and I'll try here too, to stick to what I actually know, as opposed to speculate about what they're, what they're really trying to do or how they treat people or whatever. I don't think there's anyone actually manning the press at tesla.com email address anymore. Just FYI, like they don't have a I've read that, that and I, but I did, I, I tried multiple avenues yeah. to at least create the opportunity for a comment, which you know very well, Kirsten, is just sort of best practice yeah. in journalism. Yeah, for sure. Um, but how, Kirsten think, knows that, but Ed doesn't? Oh, he's not a journalist anymore. Right? I'm not. Ooh, ouch. Alex, one more time. You <laughs> I'm not a journalist anymore. anymore. Wait, wait. Ed, whatever. Anyway, sorry, Kirsten, you were going to say something. Well, I think it's worth then comparing. I mean, Tesla doesn't just operate in the U.S., right? So it's interesting to see how have they accepted some of the stricter requirements um, that that have been placed on them in European countries compared to the U.S. I mean, have you did you look into sort of how different European countries have approached? or come after Tesla for naming autopilot, for example. And, and yeah, yeah, that was actually something I really wanted to cover because I, I feel like there's, I I would like to, I, one of the reasons I wrote the article that I did was, you know, I obviously want to give some ideas to people on the, on the transition team and who are going to be involved at USDOT. I have very little confidence Tesla is going to change their behavior on their own. Maybe they will, I doubt it. Uh, But also I wanted to provide a little bit of information for, sort of casual followers or of automotive technology or, 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 or autonomous vehicles about, about how Europe handles these sorts of technologies, because I'm not sure in America that we even recognize that there are other models out there. <laughs> um, and I guess, so, so Kirsten, in response to your question, I would I make two points. First of all, there's, and there's, by the way, there's really two ways of going about regulating Tesla. One is, to say, like, you got to stop naming things that are in deliberately confusing ways, autopilot and full self-driving. That's sort of self-contained. It's pretty obvious. It would require a federal trade commission investigation in the U.S. for deceptive advertising. And there's a precedent in Europe where they've already concluded that it's deceptive. Um, Munich court found that. And also Euro NCAP, which is the, the uh, sort of uh, crash evaluator uh comparable to our NCAP for those who know a new car assessment program in the US, they, and this is in the article, actually, they found autopilot to be misleading as a name. It's, it's official. Um, putting that aside in terms of how, so this is a European union, right? So you've got, you've got sort of combined regulation to a large degree across the continent. And I spoke to representatives about this in Europe and, you know, I'm just curious, do you guys think that many of your listeners know what type approval is? Oh, we definitely have have listeners who do. Maybe, maybe some don't, though. So please, yeah, yeah. So, so we in the so in the United States, the way that we have really for fifty years regulated automotive safety technology is is through a process called self certification, where automakers basically have a gigantic document called FMBSS, the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards, right. And as long as your vehicle com- aligns with FMBSS, it's fine on the road unless and until there's evidence of crashes and collisions, in which case you can get, have NHTSA intervene with a recall, a fine, so forth and so on. Uh, but it's self-certifying. You don't need to. It's, it's, a, it's a forgiveness, uh, not permission sort of a model. That's different in the U.S. from how we think of automotive regulation where it's, it's actually type approval, where the attitude there is that, you know, because you have automated uh, so much of how planes work and all the pieces have to fit together perfectly, it's catastrophic if things don't work perfectly. So the FAA actually has to give its approval called type approval for any new component or change that's going to take place. That model of type approval is actually in Europe how they regulate automobiles as well. 
So when any automaker has a new software or a new hardware component, they need approval from a national regulator, which then applies across the EU. And uh, interestingly, I don't know the context of this. Um, I didn't go too far into it, but Autopilot was approved through type approval. However, um, and every over-the-air update, by the way, has to get approved ex-ante before customers get it in Europe. That does not obviously happen in the U.S. Uh, But full self-driving, for all the fanfare of launching it here in the U.S., not even on the radar screen of, of, of being approved in Europe. And the regulators I spoke to in Europe we're pretty confident that's because Tesla is not stupid and it knows that it's not going to get approved if they tried for it. So FSD is something that we have the quote unquote unique luxury of uh, having on our streets here in the United States for the, for the foreseeable future. Right. So it's interesting to see how um, I think this happened once long ago when I was covering an energy business and you know, wrote a lot about clean tech, but also wrote a lot about um, big oil companies. And when big oil companies are faced with, for example, um, specific restrictions or requirements in whatever country, they will adjust that what they want is certainty. And if that certainty it comes in the form of regulation, fine. What they don't want is uh, regulations changing all the time. And so automakers do the same thing. Um, but that doesn't mean that they don't cry and spend a ton of money lobbying to prevent those from happening. So we've seen what's happened with Tesla throughout the world is they've adjusted right in other countries, but they're going to fight for it here. I think because full self-driving is, an important revenue stream for them that they cannot recognize that revenue unless they actually have released full self, you know, quote unquote, full self-driving. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a, a, it's really important, I think, for people to understand the monetary connection to full self-driving and why it isn't just because uh, they want to have this feature out there. I mean, there's a direct revenue stream and an important one at that for the company. Yeah. Kirsten, I think that's a really important point. And it's something that, that if anything, I wish I could have gone into more detail on in the, in the slate article, uh, because you know, the, the, at least the way I see it, the, the sort of quote unquote sins of Tesla, the reasons why autopilot and, and full self-driving are in my view, reckless and need to be, uh, need to be changed. You've got the, the naming problem. You've got, the lack of real driver monitoring system. You have the lack of of ODD limitations. Potentially the lack of, of of lidar. And now with FSD, you've got the lack of safety drivers. Or <laughs> um, you've got people who are untrained with do, do, using these vehicles on on, on public roads. Um, all of those, all of those elements has a. It, it's in. Te- you could argue, I think, convincingly that they're in Tesla's financial self-interest. They're not in societal interest, society's interest. They're not in, I think, the automotive sector's interest. But, you know, Kirsten, you just made a good point about recognizing revenue with FSD. Um, the fact of the matter is, too, that Tesla is saving money by collecting data from its, its, uh, its users that are untrained going around with full self-driving, sending tons of data to Tesla, while competitors are, have trained safety drivers that are expensive, there there's reasons why Tesla is doing all this stuff. So, like like Tesla can sell more cars because, and I would argue, because uh, people like that they can turn autopilot on whenever they want. They don't have to have like limitations on uh, based on the ODD, despite what NTSB has repeatedly called for. These are financial decisions. I, I think that Tesla has made in its own self interest which companies can do based on how regulations work. But this to me just begs the question of why then the federal government isn't stepping in and saying, look, you're acting in your own self-interest, fine, but we're now going to protect the interest of our industry writ large. And I would argue more importantly, uh, Americans themselves who never opted in to be sort of like a guinea pig for these, these technologies. Mm-hmm. Saw a fun tweet the other day, which uh, somebody said, uh, "It's like the question isn't what more Tesla should be doing, but 
if there's any less they could be doing, there's nothing less they could be doing here. Like literally every every box you could check for how to test and deploy and educate is unchecked. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. Thanks. I think what, what your piece get really gets right, David, is that, and, and I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding this, is that all of these issues that you, you're talking about, they kind of stack on each other, right? And and in a way that that is more that, that that makes the problem more than the sum of its parts even, right? Because you know, it's one thing if you don't have uh, driver monitoring, right? That people can understand why that's an issue. But then when you don't have driver monitoring, but you can also be using the system in an area, you know, outside the ODD, so an area where it wasn't designed for, that makes that that exacerbates that driver monitoring problem. And then when you layer on top of it the autonomous washing piece, and where you're giving people sort of these really mixed messages, conflicting signals. I actually just tweeted uh, last night a bunch of different quotes from a one thread on Reddit where people like like where people were just all giving different definitions of what. And this was about full self driving. That's a fun one. Autopilot. But it was like people say it's level two, it's level three, it's level four, it's level five. It's this like like nobody knows. The people who are paying money for this stuff don't know what it is. And so when you add that it exacerbates all of these other problems. And I think that that that's also the heart of the regulatory challenge here though, too, right? Is that I think that's I think that's really right. This is something that I think is a fundamental challenge that ADASC presents to federal regulators. Uh, NHTSA, I think, is it, it has it's been on for, for decades and it's well equipped to handle, you know, a situation where an airbag is working improperly, like Takata. Wow. <laughs> it is not to evaluate the, relatively speaking, okay? Relatively. It is not well equipped to handle a situation presented by something like autopilot, where it's not like there's one component that's, that's, that's not performing the way it's supposed to. It's really a question of how the various components fit together. It's about the sum of the parts. And that requires a different level of understanding. It's more complicated, requires more staff. Like, let's not just throw everything on NHTSA and expect them to do more and more and more and more with less. Like their budget hasn't moved in forever. Uh, but this is, I think, this gets into one of the, the fundamental uh, challenges presented by ADAS and why it's so important that the new administration recognize that simply waiting for something to break is not the way to regulate ADAS and autonomous technologies going forward. It's going to require something new. The interesting thing about Tesla system, specifically full self-driving, which I've now tried thanks to a small hardware update. So thanks, Alex, mm-hmm. is that defining what it is is impossible because sometimes it's level two. Sometimes it's like a drunk person driving for the first time, a 15-year-old. And sometimes it's surprisingly capable. It's so all over the place that it defies a definition. It's unpredictable. So making a right-hand turn, all of a sudden it sees something and will slam on the brakes, which has happened to me. And I've tested it, by the way, when it was early in the morning and no one was around on, on a weekend because of, because of that problem. I knew, I knew it was going to happen because I remember back in the early days of autopilot when, uh, you know, almost got steered into a guard rail like a few times, you know? So, so that's one of the issues as well is that it keeps changing and it's unpredictable and it's, it's not consistent in its ability. So it is difficult to even define. I think that 
that's one of the many problems that federal regulators would have in even trying to classify or bring it under control, I guess. You know, what's interesting is the other day there was an Mustard interview where he said that full self-driving would be released in some jurisdictions mm. soon. And some jurisdictions, I, I think that's the exact wording, that's a, that's a, that's a geofence. So that's an operating domain of some kind. And he's always used the excuse that it's based on regulatory approval. Which we know doesn't exist. Yeah, so it looks a lot more like he's going to release it through some some gating uh, to, I guess the gates appear to be Tesla fans or investors who won't criticize it too much and are willing to assume the risk. Um, It's not going to be in Europe, I'll tell you that much. Right. (laughs) Well, you know, this comes up and I've... I've exhausted myself on Twitter uh, explaining to people that there is no federal regulation currently that exists. And, you know, I've given up, um, but there's, for the record, no federal regulation in the United States that exists. We've established that that would prevent Tesla. Now, can I have one quick thing to your point? Yeah. You're right, Kirsten, but I, I want to just loop this. This is my, what I can add to your conversation is the, the policy side of things. Mm-hmm. Like, be clear. We were talking about FMBSS, which is that massive document about what automakers have to adhere to when they create a car. Sure. There's nothing there about ADAS. Right. You can do whatever you want as an automaker. And as long as it's got a steering wheel and the other stuff that's in FMBSS, right. you can self-certify and that car is legal on American roads. We have It's because we have nothing in FMBSS about ADAS and we've chosen not to adopt the type of approval model that Europe has. So they right. are more aggressive than we are in this kind of a way. Back to yeah. Sorry, yeah, exactly. No, no, no. Thanks for that. Um, so, but what I've decided, um, you know, thinking back to all the times that Elon has said this repeatedly, and, you know, I've had a chance to ask him on, you know, sometimes there's like, you know, pooled reporting type of conferences or whatever. He doesn't do those anymore, but where I've been able to ask him about that. And it, always goes down to this uh, regulatory question. I will say that the way I interpret it now is that it's expect, I think that he knows well enough that the regulatory gates will come crashing down in certain areas if he were to go down that road. And so it's more about anticipating than it existing. I'm sorry, going down that road would cause the gates to come crashing. I think that if, as he mentioned earlier, that this is going to be released in certain jurisdictions or whatever, I think what he's doing is he'll probably release it in places like, let's say, Arizona or something that have um, like states that have are are friendlier and uh, more um, not anti-regulation, but tend to take a step back. Then in places like California that I think would actually come down on Tesla, possibly. Um, so it would become a state issue instead of a federal issue um, or would try to use some other existing law to prevent the use of that. Um, th- that's kind of I, that's me speculating, but I kind of think that they've thought through that a bit. Uh, you're probably right. And, and this gets into what I think is one of the interesting ramifications on the policy side of how Tesla is treating FSD and previously autopilot, too. Is, you know, if that happens, Christian, you play out the scenario you're describing, let's say it launches in Arizona, but not California, or it launches in a state where some state legislators really don't like it, you end up with new laws on the books in state houses about ADAS deployments, and it becomes something of a, a patchwork. That's a phrase that's often bandied about, about a patchwork of different ADAS or AV regulations. Well, we have that now with AVs, right? Right. So right. it's like becoming now this one glob of. ADAS and AVs all mixed together, which of course there's important differences um, in how they're applied. Is the point. I think this is the fear I think I know because I've off the record talked to a bunch of automakers about it is that by Tesla doing what it's doing, it's going to force regulatory actions that could harm or basically get in the way of what other other ADAS developers and or OEMs want to do. This is, I think, an interesting thing that's hard to report on because the other companies don't want to go on the record. But it's an important right. dynamic that I, that I think people should be aware of. So, what do what's the solution? Sorry, uh, what's the what's the solution that other automakers that sit back and wring their hands that this could happen and ruin everything, or are they actually 
using some of their lobbying might to, you know, because we've seen like we've seen GM use its lobbying power to prevent direct sales in states, right? So uh, that's well known. They've they shop led legislative language around and have you know worked with dealership organizations and have been successful. So are there any automaker or competitors competitive efforts to prevent Tesla like on the state level or on the federal level um, by automakers that you know of? So there was a new sort of agenda put out by Autos Innovate, which is the big automotive association based in Washington, D.C., where I live. That just came out two days ago. It sort of went through its its plan for the next four years. And all the big OEMs are part of Autos Innovate, except for Tesla, if we consider Tesla an OEM, which I don't really want to get into. Mm. Um, but uh, suffice to say that aligning state laws was a top priority of theirs. And they also talked, um, let's say it was aligning state, state, state rules along, the, uh, along these lines. And also, um, they have, they actually were, they, I quote, got a quote from John Bazella, who leads it in the article that I wrote, where I think what they're doing, Kirsten, it's not so much a, a, a legal or lobbying push as it is sort of like a comms push to say, look, not everyone who's making ADAS systems treats this stuff the same. Some people take risks or some companies take risks that others don't. Please differentiate. That's not, I'm paraphrasing. That's the message that comes across. And I think what they're hoping is that if something terrible happens with Tesla and FSD, someone, a pedestrian gets killed, as apparently happened with autopilot in Japan already, and there's a backlash like what happened with Elaine Hertzberg, the tragedy in Arizona, that it won't drag down the entire industry because people will hopefully, in their minds, recognize that OEMs are different how they're approaching this stuff. I think that that's not going to work. I think that's a fool's errand. I think it's a the average it's a tough message, mind, right? It's a tough. What do you say, sorry, Ed? It's a it's a tough message, right? Oh, you right. have people have to have a pretty sophisticated understanding of this situation in order to understand these distinctions, right? Absolutely. That's that's sort of the challenge. Absolutely, and this is where I I. I have heard and this and, and Tesla's really put a lot of the OEMs in such an awkward position because you know they're the incumbents and the whole narrative of Tesla is that the incumbents don't like the innovation, the disruption, and so of course they're criticizing blah blah blah. But the fact of the matter is that the OEMs are right to say you know we can't have one player screw this up for all of us, and that is a real risk I feel uh, for, for, for the entire sort of autonomous vehicle development field, if bad things happen as a result of what Tesla is doing. I just want to like, it, it's, you're, you're right that like the argument is always like any criticism must be sort of funded or motivated by Tesla's competition, but, but you're absolutely right in the sense that like, you know, the, the automakers have a lot of rope with which to go after Tesla here and, and they're not like, they're very much choosing not to, to the point that Someone like yourself, who, despite the the tweets, uh, you know, are about as far from a tool of big auto as as I can think of. And oil, like you know, you're 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 like being the guy who's essentially making the case for them, right? Um, yeah, and, and I'm again, a wonky guy who's interested, who like loves transit and walking and biking, and is learning about <laughs> automobiles and trying really hard to get the facts right. Like I have, you know, give me being in the pocket of big oil and big cars. For those who don't know me, it's. It's just more clear. It's not how I've ever pictured myself. Well, you're not driving a Dodge Charger behind the scenes, like a free Dodge Charger. <laughs> yeah, I love. Hellcat. I, I don't know what to say about that. He's more of a he's more of a he's more of a pickup guy. Yeah, uh, right. Hellcat. Yeah, I'm all about the Hellcat. Um, no, no, totally. I mean, I, and I don't want to get too far into. Like, I, I frankly, I was a bit stunned. I knew I was going to get attacked for the article, but I was a bit stunned by just the ad hominem nature of all the responses um, that, that followed. Like, I, I don't. It's not, I, I'm trying, I'm a policy guy to an extent. Like I'm really trying to talk about where the policy failure is here. And it's unfortunate that so many defenders of, of Tesla seem to not be interested in engaging with the, the issues, but just attack personally. It's, I guess it's neither here nor there. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. I can take it, but it's, uh, it's, it's remarkable. I'll say that much. I mean, Ed and join the club, I mean, join the club all the time. Now you start, you, you get you get a jacket now and like maybe a special pin that you've been. <laughs> You're in the club. No, but, I'm Jewish, but I've been baptized. Um, yeah, the fact that the fact that that the responses have been all ad hominem rather than than sort of substance. Like I think it's telling though too, in the sense that 
it's not like there are two competing visions for what would be a better way of of sort of approaching this regulation. It's it it's Tesla is getting away with what it's getting away with right now, and it wants to, and its its fans and investors um want that to continue. It's I don't, I, but nobody is making the case that things are working well right now. And I think what's what's really jarring to me about this whole thing is that. You know, NHTSA has given itself the power to do something about this, right? It's it's regulatory guidance, and and the NTSB has had multiple investigations saying, yes, this thing, you know, that that you put the guidance out that you say you can do something about, but but they haven't actually done anything. This is really important, and this is what I was hoping we could talk about a little bit. Like, I some 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 of your listeners will know, but I bet many won't. That NTSB, when it investigated crashes in Delray Beach and Williston, Florida. Um, the Walter Wong crash in in um, in, in California, all of which were fatal, uh, re- repeatedly found uh, you know you know issues with that we've talked about with DMS and with ODD limitations to Tesla, and it had formal recommendations both to Tesla and to NHTSA to investigate. Now NTSB does not have enforcement authority, unlike NHTSA, and Elon Musk is not is smart, and he knew that, and he was just like basically screw NTSB. He literally hung up the phone on the NTSB chairman which is something that's kind of unbelievable for those who follow transportation safety. It's unheard of. And it's a really dangerous precedent, by the way. But NHTSA is the one that actually can crack the whip. And, and this is an important point. Under, remember, Autopilot was just, when did Autopilot first first launch? Yeah, what year was it? Ooh, the 2015? No, 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 before that. Oh, no, maybe, maybe AutoSteer was... 2014-2015, we're talking about the, the tail end of the Obama administration. And the first crashes involving autopilot occurred, I believe, I think Williston and Delray Beach were in 2016. Right? 2016 it, was, yeah. it was really close to the end of the administration. And so NHTSA at that time under President Obama, when I think you've had Mark Roskind, I don't know if you have Mark Roskind on, on Tomicast, but he's around. Mm-hmm. He's not in Dukes. Um, he was the administrator of NHTSA. And he launched investigations into um, the Williston crash. And he all, and also, this is actually really important. There was guidance that was issued in the final months of the Obama administration that used a term called predictable abuse, saying this could be a framework for how NHTSA could use its enforcement authority, meaning recalls and fines, against an ADAS system. And then the Trump administration basically was like, never mind, and did nothing with it. But I wanted, can I talk just a minute about what predictable abuse is? Yeah, I think please, please do. Important as a framework. Predictable abuse is, is, is an idea. It's sort of is, is, it's kind of intuitive. It's the idea being that you as an automaker or as a component maker have recogn- can, can, should be able to recognize and predict that there is a pattern of misbehavior or people not using your device or your vehicle in the way that you've asked them to. It's predictable. And this is, yes, it's abuse. You've told them not to, but they're still doing it. And if you continue to allow them to do it, you're now liable and responsible for that, for the, the, the crashes or the injuries or the deaths that result from that. And there, there is a, with regards to autopilot now, I, I would say there's, there's an argument that could be made four years ago that you know, maybe maybe putting really extensive instructions in the manual, which do exist for when and when not to use autopilot or how to use autopilot, maybe that's enough. Maybe it is. However, it's four years later now, and we've seen all of the abuse. It is abuse. We all know it's abuse of people using autopilot in ways they shouldn't be. And outside the ODD, people have died as a result. Uh, you've you've seen people cheating the the torque monitoring systems. It's predictable. That being the case, there is a an argument that could be that could justify a NHTSA investigation into autopilot and FSD eventually, but at least now for autopilot under the rubric of of predictable abuse. Now NHTSA would fight that, in, excuse me, Tesla would fight that in court, and it would be a long drawn out battle. But that's okay, I would argue, because just a simple act of Launching an investigation is going to change the calculations, not just of Tesla and how it deploys things in the future, but other OEMs as well. Like this is a term that I and a concept that I, I think should be very that should be more 
better understood and more recognized among the sort of ADAS auto tech community than I think it is. And I just want to add a little bit of context for the from the history here of, of autopilot. I mean, it, you know, autopilot, Elon Musk started talking about automated driving at all as a topic in 2013 after he'd had this deal with or, you know, this these negotiations with Google and Google had just previous to those negotiations decided not to basically develop and deploy a system that they called autopilot, although it was capital A, capital P and, and not just capital A. Um, and and they had they had dog fooded it, and they found the video of their 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 employees using the cars. It was just rampant abuse, right? The same stuff that you're talking mm-hmm. about, the videos that we're seeing today. And they said we're not going to do this. Like I I don't know that there's any way that and and knowing Elon Musk, you know, risk tolerance and everything, it seems very clear that what happened was is he saw that Google didn't have the the tol- the appetite for risk to put this this product on the market. Um, and they were going for full level four. And I think, you know, he recognized that was hard and, and it was like, okay, well, I'll put this product out. So, so, so it was totally foreseeable in the sense that, you know, Google had developed the same product and had documented the abuse on top of which, um, you know, I've talked to a bunch of, of human factors experts um, over at PAVE and on our, our advisory council. And they said, like, even at that time, even in 2012, 2013, you know, there had been decades of research that basically made it pretty clear that if you had sort of a high level of automation and you were telling people that it was, you know, almost self-driving and you weren't having any form of, of monitoring or ODD limits, that bad things would happen. So, like, the research has all been here. This is all, like, the foreseeability of this is, like, not even debatable. I think yeah. that's important. Well, it sounds like what you're saying, Ed, this was a strategic decision by Tesla to go ahead because they embraced more risk than one of than their main competitor, arguably, or a main competitor was willing to do. That is not how you want to have competition work <laughs> in the ADAS field. No, like even if it's you know, Google, it, sh- it, we, we, it shouldn't be. Like this is why government needs to come in. Self, self-regulation is not working when these, this is the way decisions are made, the way you're describing. Do you think uh, as much as uh, automakers have tried to distance themselves, is it plausible to think of a scenario where actually automakers would not come to Tesla's aid so much, but sort of on the idea that they don't want more greater regulation on anything they do because they're already regulated so much. Um, Is that, do you see that like if the federal government, let's say chooses to go down that road and they don't necessarily just target Tesla, but they kind of put in some new rules around ADAS. Do you see automakers resisting that? I'm not sure. I think the question is, what sort of steps would the federal government take that could create that kind of a response? I don't see anything like that happening. What I see is the most likely responses that a Biden administration could take um, would be launching an FTC and its investigation of autopilot, um, which I think the automakers are going to sit back and let happen. Um, And I also could see NHTSA potentially taking steps to better define and officially define ADAS components to say like, look, you can, this is an effort that's already underway. I know uh, Ed Pave has played, like signed on to, to and maybe Argo did too. Actually, NHTSA, NHTSA has signed on to the well, ADAS. They signed no. on to it. It's sort of a way of being like, oh, that's nice guys that you have, by the way, yeah. this effort, what is it called? I forget what it's like. Uh, clearing the confusion is it the consumer reports and and AAA? That's the, yeah. that's the pro. Basically, I forget what it's called, but the program effectively um, identifies like you can name your ADAS system whatever you want, but here's actually what the ingredients of it have to be, and and you have to include that to be able. To, and we're all going to agree that we're going to include that. Um, and 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 Elaine Chow at USDOT under Trump was like, oh, that's nice. Yes, we like it. But she, but what, what NHTSA has not done is to officially say, all right, these are the, the terms that we're now going to use and expect you all to use. And we're going to officially revise them every year as the technology evolves, whether it's it's uh, it's 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 lane changing technology or it's auto, or automatic braking or whatever it might be. Um, that's something that's an additional step that NHTSA could take. And I actually think the automakers would be delighted if it did. Uh, Tesla won't like it as Tesla's not going to like any of this, but, um, but I guess my point Kirsten is I don't see a scenario in the foreseeable future where 
the federal government does stuff that um, about Tesla that's going to push the other automakers in Tesla's corner. Type approval is a, would be a really interesting interesting move to go direction to move in. That's going to happen over a period of years. It's not happening anytime really soon. Mm-hmm. You know, and that would force the automakers and Tesla together to say, please don't do this. The fresh idea I haven't heard. Any Tesla fan suggest? Well, wait a second. Jennifer Sensiba, she uh, she's one of the <laughs> clear-headed folks who's in the Tesla camp. Had this article where she's saying that the Tesla community. It was an answer to your column. She, she suggested that the Tesla community should get ahead of potential regulation of autopilot and FSD yep. um, by being better behaved and focusing on education. And the the idea that I would, I have a Tesla. I drive it a lot. I, I'm familiar with these problems. It would be interesting to look at what was going on at Tesla. I think I spent three years ago when there were the there was a Josh Brown crash. There was another crash where two Tesla owners were killed. And after that, Tesla implemented a three strikes policy. If you dis- if you didn't torque the steering wheel um, in time, and you had multiple involuntary disengagements of the system, they duplicated uh, something that Airbus has been doing in their planes. So if you don't, if you're not engaged. To keep using the system safely three times in a row, autopilot will disengage. You cannot turn it on again until you stop the car, pull over, stop the car, and then start the system up again. Now, that's not great, but it's better than nothing. And if one were to – I suppose there must have been people at Tesla at the time who were thinking about the crashes and problems and abuse of the system and looking to improve it with some gates built into it. And I don't know who was involved in that, but those people must be gone because the logical next step of getting ahead of these problems before regulation could arrive uh, would be to to build um, something unique into each system. So if I'm abusing the system a lot over many days and weeks, the system just won't engage at all, like some kind of punitive measure <laughs> or um, – uh, or you, ha- I'd have to demonstrate that I understand how the system works well before it opens up and then becomes. So I have like a personal operational design domain for my Tesla and my use of autopilot that expands or contracts based on my abuse of it or lack of. And that is just I haven't seen anything like I mean, the Tesla fans don't want that either. It seems they just want to be able to do what they want. I think that's the important point. Like like. Like I thought that uh, the response in Clean Technica to my art to my article was was respectful, which I appreciated. <laughs> um, but my attitude is kind of like, okay, but ultimately this is really up to Tesla whether or not they're going to take those kinds of steps you're describing, Alex. And yeah. based on the last however many years of behavior, Danny, do you really think they're going to do that? It just feels like it's so not in the corporate DNA. I mean, well, and and just a quick point about back when the Josh Brown thing happened, uh, the autopilot team has gone through a number of changes over the years. But I know that there were people there who are working on autopilot who were very upset when that happened. And so the culture within responded. But the company is so much. Yeah, those well, people. Everybody left. who's good left, right? <laughs> but there, but there were people who were upset who pushed for some of those changes, and many of those people are now gone. And the culture has become such that it's now. I, I think it's very difficult to have those types of changes. Like I'm sure there are people within Tesla who would want to see different things happening, um, but they're just they're no match for the larger culture at Tesla now. And it's such a big company now. I mean, it, there's so many people involved that, you know, now it's difficult to sort of, I think, bring in those changes. And, and, and I think it's important. And I, again, I come from th- to these topics from a little bit of a different angle from you guys and that I'm not an engineer or a car person at, at, at core. And I don't pretend to be. Um, but what's interesting to me is I feel like there's an undercurrent of like a libertarian ethos in a lot. of Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so there's a lot of Ayn Randians no, 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 over I'm, there. Like, yeah, if I die, it's my own fault. Like I, 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 it's those people who killed, who died in, in the crashes in Florida or Walter Wong, like they knew what they were doing. And so it's on them. And my attitude is not. And so, you know, it's paternalistic for you to step in and say, you have to enforce regulations to limit what, what risk these people are or not comfortable with. And with all due respect, that's just the wrong way to think about this, I would argue, because 
if I am driving a car that's not a Tesla, I never sign on to this risk. If I'm a pedestrian, I never sign on to having a car with FSD be adjacent to me. If I'm riding a bike, I never said this was okay. And this is why there's a communitarian element of this. And this is an appropriate role, I think, for the for regulation to say, look, it's not just up to you, prospective Tesla owner or current Tesla owner, to decide what your tolerance for risk is, because it's not just you. You're actually creating risk with your actions for others who never had a chance to weigh in. And I think that that's a response I heard a lot from sort of like the urbanist community, if you will, when FSD launched. And I hope that that people who are part of car culture or worked at an OEM or an ADAS, like just understand where they're coming from. Because I, I, I think it's a very, I don't even hear anyone responding to that when I see the back and forth about the appropriateness of regulating autopilot and FSD. Um, I, I want to get into the, well, I want to ask you, since, since I have you here and, and you pay more, you know, attention to the details of, of policy here, there's, there's one piece of this that I'm, I'm a little curious about, and I, I, I worry there's not a lot of other people who will, who entertain a discussion on it. So I'm going to take advantage while you're here. The FTC piece of this is really interesting because I mean, I agree yeah. on one level that, that, you know, yeah, like clearly I think there's, there's been misleading advertising, there's been misleading communications, um, and, and that some of that is about sort of, you know, boosting the perception of, of Tesla. So, you know, there could be, you know, sales, but, but I think to me, what's the real, the interesting question is, is there also a safety component to the way companies co- communicate about this? I mean, I think we know that there is to some extent, um, Liza Dixon's a ton of washing, a ton of casting, a ton of washing, uh, paper has done a lot to, to cast light on, onto this, but like, so my, I guess my question to you is, is, is does NHTSA need to have that sort of um, behavioral psychology communications piece as part of their like core capabilities as they move into this era where, let's face it, and that's the other thing with this, is that it's not just Tesla, it's, it's the precedents that are being set here right. and what other that's people right. are going to do in the future. Yeah. And so you're talking about the naming specifically? Yeah, because I mean, if 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 the you know trust calibration, as as Lysakson talks about, is is fundamental to the safety of the system. In other words, that the the person the person behind the wheels' expectation in a level two system of what that system's capabilities are has to be accurate for for them to safely operate as a, a team. It's a team system, right? It's a two a two part sort of hybrid human right. automation system. Like, like if it, you know, and so if you're miscalibrating, then then you know the system potentially won't won't work. Right. And so so does does NHTSA need to be able to understand sort of at what point do communications from a company become misleading because of the safety effect? Or is that something that FCC should should do? And then NHTSA should sort of build on that. Like, how, how do you how do you untease those? So there, there are laws and there's authorities that agencies have uh, that, that justify their ability to intervene or or not. And the way that uh, that that those authorities exist now NHTSA does not have the authority from everything I understand to be able to go in and say, this is deceptive advertising. You have to stop. That is specifically FTC it would require a change in the law to enable NHTSA to do that. This is sort of like how things happen. I have a lot of sources at NHTSA and, and, and at FTC and stuff that help me understand this stuff. Um, now there could change, Ed, like you could have a, a new authority granted, but that's a complicated process. Um, and by the way, this is something that I'm not sure if people will fully appreciate the extent to which all this is made that much harder by um, Republicans' aversion to any kind of regulation. There is a really, there's a little known but deeply um, destructive rule that the Trump administration has implemented. Um, Perhaps you guys know about this, but every, for every rule you add, according to the Trump administration, you have to take out two existing rules. A blanket a blanket policy, and it has basically stopped. In the, so that you can take some out, they're low-hanging fruit, but now there's nothing left to, to remove that's easy, and it just has created a massive problem in, in enacting new regulations or enacting changes. So that's that's something that's an issue right there. For now, the, the way this stuff actually works, as I understand it, is FTC could say this is deceptive advertising, or, or we think it could be, and we're going to launch an investigation, which I guarantee you Tesla would fight. And behind the scenes, what really happens, Ed, is you've got a, you've got NHTSA leadership 
that sees what's going on. And, you know, these people all know each other. You call up the leaders at the FTC. We're recording this at a time when no one knows who these leaders are going to be right now. But then, you know, the NHTSA leaders and FTC leaders get a drink or they have a meeting or whatever it is. And like, look, this is important. Will you do it? And FTC, like many agencies, has a lot of competing interests. So this would require USDOT and NHTSA to say, look, this is a really high priority. You need to please investigate this. It could happen, but it definitely did not happen either under Obama. Let's be fair. It didn't happen then. And it certainly didn't happen under Trump in the last four years. Yeah. I mean, I think I think just to the 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 issue of of predictable abuse when when that line is crossed, as you referred to, that's not something that NITS is prepared to 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 make a judgment about because it does defects and not behavioral psychology. Right. I mean, that's my point is that does, does, does the agency need to develop new capabilities? It isn't about the name of the of the device. It's really about the sort of like the observed pattern of behavior based on what the manual says and how people are using the thing. Right, but I'm saying there's not a statutory line across which you can say this is this abuse was or this is a certain level of predictable, right? Like, and if you read that guidance, it's very unclear. Yeah, it's what's new. I mean, this was something that that NHTSA leadership under President Obama recognized was an issue and was going to become a bigger issue in years ahead. And what that 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 guidance about predictable abuse was intended to create some frameworks, as was another really important document called the Federal Automated Vehicle Policy, which came out also in the final, final months of the Obama administration, which was a lengthy document still available online, some might be interested in it, that tries to lay out sort of the future directions of autonomous vehicle and ADAS regulations. And it talks, by the way, about the potential interest in pre-approval, which is another term, way of, of calling type approval. Um, but Nothing's happened for four years, so we kind of have to pick back up where things were, I would argue, at the end of 2016 and uh, and get things started. And I will tell you this, I think the odds of, of this actually happening are, are high. I actually, am, in this way, I am optimistic that um, a Biden administration is going to move with this. I know that my article um, or the article in Slate I wrote bounced around a lot within the transition team at USDOT and... Um, and that there are some people of influence that are concerned about the um, sort of halting in the tracks of AV regulation that I would argue has taken place over the last four years. So I'm actually excited about the chance to fix some of this stuff. Well, on that note... Yeah. So that basically what that means yeah. is that uh, is that when uh, regulation does, if when regulation does happen, uh, everyone is going to blame you for it. Yes. Oh, right. It's going to have been you all come, your fault. You can come stay with me in my anonymous bunker, uh, bu- uh, bungalow. Don't say that. Don't say the city because people I will find you. Uh, all right. <laughs> um, we should wrap this up. Thank you, Alex, for keeping that as uh, predictable as possible. Always ending our show that way. But uh, David, thanks for 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 joining us. Um, if you have any closing thoughts, I mean, you sort of wrapped up the show nicely with some pr- predictions, but I'll let you have the final word. And thanks for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. David, take it away. Uh, I'll just say thanks for having me. I mean, I, I, I'll just reiterate. I wrote this article because I, I see a policy failure, a policy failure that could cost American lives and cost America the chance to develop autonomous vehicle technology safely and and transparently and I think this is an issue that that needs more that needs broader understanding so I am grateful for you guys for inviting me to to talk about it I'm glad that and again I think we need people thinking about this who are not professional um, automotive experts or, or ADAS experts so um, I again I, I'm grateful for the chance um, do do we do we usually close with like Twitter handles and stuff like that? I'm trying to remember how you guys like. Yeah, everyone follow follow David on Twitter at <laughs> at, at David Zipper. You can see lots of fun names I've been called in the last few days. <laughs> yeah, his nice. his mentions are are worth a read from the last uh, last couple of days. Yes, yes, I'm I, I'm a nice guy. I swear. <laughs> Cool. Well, I I certainly appreciate you taking up this topic and and writing uh, like capturing all of the the complexities of it so well. Um, and I think uh, I'm very curious to see sort of what happens next. So um, maybe uh, if and when the wheels do start turning, we might just have to have you back and and discuss what you know actual proposals potentially 
come out of the new administration. Always glad to. I'm really happy to see policy play a part in the discussions you guys are having. It's, I, I love the podcast. And, and frankly, I, I, I enjoy talking with each of you. So thanks for having me. Did you uh, dare call them an automaker? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I did. I think oh, that I there you go. Heard, but in this, the way the article came out in the end, I think I referred to um, other automakers without, well, maybe I might have implied it, but that mm. was, I mean, this has not been the main brunt of attack that I've borne. Right. Um, so it's, hang on. I'd say the main counter argument, Kirsten, is that I'm just a dumbass. Was, <laughs> okay. Well, that's point taken. <laughs>